So as, as David said, the, the, um, the reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, 1 to 8. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs all to, the other, to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Serving, serving, serving is something beautiful in God's sight. I don't think we need a, a close-up of my midriff there. So, uh, uh, Serving is beautiful in God's sight. It's a part of his vision for the church. And as followers of Jesus, servanthood should be integral to our identity. We shape our lives around the person who came not to be served, but to serve and to serve to such an extent that he gave his life as a ransom for many. And friends, serving is actually good for us. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, uh, we read these words. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than receive. That's what Jesus says. In Acts chapter 20, we read that Jesus had said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And I experienced this firsthand this week. So uh, one day this week, I was uh, just about to head out to the door uh, to meet another group of sort of uh, uh, evangelical church leaders from across the, the town, um, and I, I just basically I received a little bit of bad news. Yeah, so you know I headed to the meeting. You know, oh, you know this is happening, and I, as, as I was pulling up and I got out my car, I realised there was two choices ahead of me. I could go into the meeting of fellow sort of senior senior pastors from across the town and look to be sort of picked up. You know, look to have my needs fulfilled. You know, I just received a little bit of bad news. You know, look for others to sort of fulfill me. Or I could go into that same meeting looking for ways to serve others. And I chose the latter. And I chose to serve, not because that was the passage that I was, you know, looking at. You know, I looked at the passage like Friday or, or, or Saturday. You know, I, I chose the latter. I chose to serve. And let me tell you, I left that meeting far more fulfilled and blessed than if I'd gone into the meeting looking for my needs to be fed. Because it is a lie of the enemy that if we look for our needs to be fed, then we'll end up better. It is 
more often than not the case that when we go to give, we actually take our eyes off ourselves and, and, and we are lifted up by it. And so I want to ask yourself, how do you approach church? How do you approach your connect group? Do we come looking to serve and looking for ways to bless and encourage and build up other people around us? Or do we come looking for others to bless and encourage and to build up ourselves? Because we need to remember the words that Jesus himself said. It is actually more blessed to give than to receive. And so God knows what he's doing. He wants us to be happy and healthy and mature, and he wants us to be, therefore, a serving church. Which takes us on to the question, which I'm thinking, we're all probably thinking at this moment in time, how can we serve without sinking? How can we serve without sinking? How can we serve and continue to serve week after week, year after year? How do we serve in a way that leaves us more mature, more healthy, more blessed, rather than more exhausted, more weary, and more resentful. Well, we're going to look at what this passage has to say to us on that question. And I want to go through this passage sort of verse by verse or section by section, and we're going to dive straight into verse 1. Let's read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if we want to understand the right motivation for living a life of service, uh, a motivation that will keep us serving year after year with generosity and joy, then I first want to highlight two words from this very opening verse. And the first word is the very opening word. It's therefore. This word, therefore, links this passage and all that comes after it to all that's gone before, chapters 1 to 11. This word links God's call upon our lives to serve wholeheartedly and sacrificially with everything that's come before in the last previous uh, 11 chapters. And what came before? Well, it's this great doctrinal exposition which Tim Tim Keller sort of sums up uh, in this way that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And the, and the second word simply reinforces the same point. The word is mercy. It says, in view of God's mercy. You see, what this passage is saying to us is that our motivation for serving is what Jesus has done for us. He is a good God. He is forever faithful. And we serve him because our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness for all that Jesus has done for us. He has rescued us from darkness. He has forgiven us of our sins. He brings us into new life. And and this passage suggests that if we lack a passion or an interest in serving, It comes from really a failure to contemplate, to to marvel upon, and to fully appreciate God's amazing love and mercy and grace. That word, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
And then the verse continues with this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You see, when we serve, our motivation must be to please God. But often, it can be to please others. We can be people pleasers. You know, we want other people to be encouraged. Or we can be doing it to please ourselves. Some people, you know, just want to volunteer because it makes them feel positive about themselves. But if our motivation is pleasing people, then ultimately they will let us down. They will either fail to appreciate what we've been doing for them or they'll take it for granted and will grow tired and will grow resentful. Or if our motivation um, is to, uh, to basically serve ourselves, we serve others to make ourselves feel good, to be seen by others as a, as a pillar of the local community or to make a name for ourselves, to please ourselves, then ultimately this becomes a rod for our own back because instead of marveling at the grace that has been given us, you know, we continuously feel as if we need to sort of justify ourselves, you know, through our own efforts, rather than resting in God's unconditional love for us. Your self-worth is not based upon what you do. If you, if you look at that, then you're going to spend your whole life constantly trying to earn sort of your own approval. Instead, Rest in what God thinks of you in his unconditional love. But as followers of Jesus, you see, we are not seeking to please others. We're not seeking to please ourselves. We are seeking to please God. That's what the opening verse says. Holy, it is in response to his love for us that we long to please him and live holy lives. It's in response to his love for us that we long to please him and live holy lives. And then, this same verse then goes on to say, this is your spiritual act of worship. We are to uh, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. And we need to remember that worship is much more than, than, uh, than what we do with our lips on a Sunday morning or, or midweek. Uh, you know, worship involves our whole bodies, it involves our whole lives. You know, um, this verse reminds us that God doesn't just want a purely inward and abstract worship. He calls for a practical and total worship. We are to give God Everything We are called to whole life worship. And part of this involves serving. Serving is an act of worship. And that word that is translated spiritual in this verse, our spiritual act of worship, is actually the Greek word logiken. Logiken. Serving is logiken. It's logical. It's a rational and a reasonable response to God's love for us. So in view of God's mercy, anything less than everything we've got is irrational. It is unreasonable. It is illogical. You know, anything less than everything. He died for us. He has rescued us from 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 hell and eternal separation from God. And if, if anything less, it's just illogical. That's what this passage says. 
As C.T. Stood, I've mentioned him in the past. He was this, uh, you know, came from a really wealthy family. He went to Eton. He captained the Eton cricket team. Went to Cambridge. Captained the Cambridge cricket team. He uh, he was in that sort of uh, ashes. He was in the sort of match that led to the ashes being formed. And he gave it all up. And he and he when his father died, he he gave away all of his wealth. And this is what he said. He gave it all up. He gave up all of it to serve in the mission fields in China. And he says this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You see, if we grasp how much God loves us, then why are we bothered about, you know, giving up an evening of our weeks, you know, to serve Jesus? Actually, he deserves our everything. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, if we really actually believe this stuff, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. When I became a Christian, I thought, you know, I said to myself, you know, if this is real, then this demands my everything. I'm either in it wholeheartedly or I might as well be out of it. Because the rest of it, it just isn't irrational. To be half in and half out, what am I saying? I don't really believe the stuff. How do we serve without sinking? We serve because God loves us and in response to his love for us, we offer him our whole lives, not just our words, not just an hour every couple of Sundays. You know, this is our rational, our reasonable act of worship. And then we go on now to verse two. It says this, do not, be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wow, what a verse. Actually, when I became a Christian, it was one of the first verses, verses one and two, that I ever, did you ever used to do this? I used to write down verses, yeah, and put them in my wallet, sort of memory verses, and it was verse one and two. You know, and this is a powerful verse. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, we live in a consumer culture and this is the pattern of our world and we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind otherwise we bring this culture into church we bring this attitude into church and we need to ask ourselves you know well we do ask ourselves you know you know I don't know is the sermon working for me today is it meeting where I need, or, or the worship? Was it the, was it the right volume, or, or, the, or the right style, or do the programs and activities on offer here really, really meet my needs? We can come like that, can't we? It's very easy to come like that as consumers. And we can even come as consultants. Consultants. You know, we, we, we say to ourselves, or to anyone who might be listening, you know, you know wh- why is it the church isn't doing that? Why isn't it doing more in that area? Or, or I think that they should stop doing that and I think they should be better if they directed their efforts in this way. You know, but God wants us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and he doesn't want us to conform any longer to the pattern of the world because God, doesn't, God isn't interested in consumers. You know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You know, he's, he's not interested in consultants What he wants is contributors. He wants us to play our part. He wants people to serve, to give them themselves, to give them their time, their talent, their energies as an act of worship. 
Now, I mentioned uh, this week how I um, had lunch with a, with a group of other church leaders. And during this time, just as we was leaving, I was having a sort of side conversation with, with uh, one church leader from, from the town. And he happened to mention how he was friends with uh, a pastor in the U.S. And this pastor in the U.S. sort of recently told him uh, uh, an account of what happened to him. Uh, it was an account that basically this guy called John Mark Comer turned up to his church one day. Now, if you, if you know, if you've heard of the name John Mark Comer, you'll know that he is sort of a really influential speaker and author. He was former pastor of this really large and influential church uh, called Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And he, he felt called to sort of step back from leading that church. That church has now been taken on by uh, someone else. Um, and he's focused now on equipping the wider church in practicing the way of Jesus. What does it actually mean to live as followers of Jesus in today's society? So you've got this really sort of big name in sort of Christian circles. You know, it's influential thinker, preacher, writer, and he moves his family from Portland to South California, yeah? And he's looking for a new church, as we would all look for a new church. And so what does he do? He steps into this pastor's church, and this pastor is thinking, oh my life, I've got to preach in front of John Mark Comer. Yeah, and, 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 but, but, you know, and, he, and he imagines the conversation that's going to take place after the service. That I'm sure John Mark Homer will want to come up to me and he'll want to sort of uh, share some helpful words about uh, our worship or the message or perhaps the way that the church is set up or our welcome. You know, if there's anyone qualified to be a church consultant, it is surely John Mark Comer. But what John Mark Comer does is on this first Sunday, he walks into that church and he signs up to lead kids' ministry. He signs up just to serve in the kids' group. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to have our minds renewed, to come into a church, not as a consumer, not as a consultant, but as a servant. You know, don't come, you know, trying to find, yes, we want to find a church where we are called. But what that means is to find a church where we are called to serve, not where it fits us and fits our needs. You know, don't come as a consultant. Don't come as, as, as bringing your views on what needs to change without rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. By all means, you know, we want to lead with the whole people of God. We're interested in everyone's views, but actually we're interested in the views of the contributors. Those that are actually in it have got skin in the game. Come as a servant. You know, if there's needs in the kids' team, say, I'm there. I'm there. You know, I'm here to serve God in whatever ways he wants. Which leads us into verse 3. Do not, come, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. And yes, you know, I want to acknowledge that there are people out there with too low a view of themselves. I was going to ask someone to do a Bible reading today, but they, uh, I heard that they wouldn't have wanted to do it. So I didn't ask. There are some people that need to be encouraged to say, actually, you do have sort of gifts to bring. And we need to trust the word of God over 
our own feelings. The word of God says that you are good enough, that you have been given gifts to use. However, the warning of this verse is it doesn't say, do not think of yourself too low. It actually says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, which is really an indication of probably the real issue with the human heart. You know, we are not to have too high a view of ourselves. You know, we are not to assume that some areas of service are for other people. They can take home the tea towels. They can serve in kids' ministry. I mean, if John Mark Comer, you know, it would have been very easy for him to say, you know, well, I'm here and I'll join the preaching motor. I'll do, I'll do a sermon once every six weeks. You know, someone else is obviously meant to serve in kids' ministry. But instead, he went to serve where the need was. And so moving on to verses four to eight, we see that the church is pictured as a body. This is an image that's used throughout the New Testament for the church. Let's read again verses four to six. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. This image of a body speaks of our diversity, you know, and unity. That person that I mentioned, actually, perhaps they weren't meant to get up here and read in. They, they serve in many, many other uh, areas of the church. We all, we're, we're meant to be diverse, but we're meant to be united. We have been, each been given distinct personalities, distinct temperaments, distinct sort of... Um, histories, distinct abilities that equip us for a particular set of good works which God has created us to do. And God, in his wisdom, has created us like a body. That's what the church is meant to be like. We are designed to be interdependent upon one another. That's why I love this church family. We fully rely upon one another. We belong to one another. And this means if only a few people are using their gifts, then the whole body is weaker for it. Actually, it means that if one of you isn't using your gifts, then we are all weaker for it. Imagine a person with two healthy legs and one of the legs refuses to do anything. That person would be hobbling around on crutches their whole life. You know, why do we settle as a church for hopping when we were designed to run? Our concluding two verses speaks of our attitudes that run beneath our actions. God is concerned with our hearts. Let's read it now. If a man's gift is prophesying, let, it, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We are called to use our gifts with excellence and with passion. God cares about our hearts. He cares about our motives, not just our actions. Let him give generously with an open heart. Let him govern, let him lead um, uh, diligently. Actually, other voices say, lead with zeal, lead with everything you've got. 
Let him, if, it, you know, if a man's gift is, or a woman's gift is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully, not resentfully. God's vision for his church is that his people would be a people that serve others. That's his vision. And so to conclude, I'm just going to end with three quick do's and three quick don'ts. Okay, first, do think and pray and discuss with those who know you well what your spiritual gifts may be. And ask, ask yourselves, you know, what do I enjoy doing? Ask yourselves, you know, what problems do I notice? And how might I be a solution to that? As it says in verse three, think of yourself with sober judgment. And then secondly, do learn by doing. You know, you don't learn your gifts um, before you serve. You, you, you don't learn them before you serve. You learn what your gifts are by serving. Do you think you may have a particular set of gifts in a particular area? Well, get involved. Get involved in serving that area. You know, it will be through serving that you sort of revise your understanding. Yes, I am called to this. Maybe I'm not called to this. And do serve. Do serve. Part of living as a sacrifice is to give our gifts to God to be used in service. And we will only do this joyfully if we keep his mercies in mind. That's why we have the cross forever before us. And for our three don'ts, don't wait on the sidelines for a perfect opportunity to serve. Jump in and get involved. If you're a Christian, day one, in church, start serving. Secondly, don't limit your service to things that are convenient or comfortable or exciting or, or to be noticed by others. Serve out of a love for Jesus, a love for his people, even if it's mundane. And don't worry if you're volunteering in a place where you may not be gifted. See it as loving service. So that's our three do's, that's our three don'ts. I should also say that there will be times and seasons, yeah, that, you know, perhaps bereavement or difficult where you're not actually, you know, God understands. God does understand um, and maybe you're not meant to serve. But actually, for the vast majority of us, we are, I mean, honestly, you know, we are all called to serve and we need to take God's vision for his church seriously. So let's stand and let's give our lives to Jesus afresh. Let's stand to pray.